Welcome to the Chartered Trading Standards Institute EU Exit Podcast. I'm Paul Evans. In this podcast, updated in January 2021 following the agreement of a deal between the UK and the EU, we'll be taking a look at how animal health and welfare will be affected by the UK's exit from the European Union. Many of the animal health and welfare protections enshrined in UK law came about as a result of our membership of the EU. And likewise, many pieces of EU animal protection legislation stem from laws originally implemented in the UK. In the main, the legislation for animal health and feed is not going to immediately change following EU exit, other than amendments to recognise the withdrawal itself. Perhaps the biggest risk to the UK will be the impact on business where there is a reduction or loss of direct funding to support the more vulnerable sectors of the agricultural industry, as well as the potential for greater global competition. To address these concerns, we spoke with Steph Young, CTSI Lead Officer for Animal Health and Welfare. Steph is well-versed in animal welfare issues and in the course of her career has developed a strong understanding of the concerns of both consumers and the farming community. Steph started off by talking us through the lead officer role. My name is Steph Young and I am the lead officer for animal health uh, within CGSI. Part of my day-to-day role, I'm a principal trading standards officer with Statue County Council and I manage the animal health team um, along with feed, so I also pick up on agriculture. I've been a member of the CTSI Brexit think tank since the onset, which was uh, a number of years ago now, when it was first put out that the, the UK chose to actually leave the EU. And from that point onwards, I've been looking very in both a cap for CTSI as an animal health inspector and from the agricultural side of things. Where are we going to see the threats and the risks with regard in our, our, our departure from the EU? A lot of the EU legislation has been built upon the back of a lot of legislation that within the UK we'd already adopted anyway. We'd already got in place provisions for livestock identification with diseases like BSE, that unfortunately the UK was probably the worst country that was hit with BSE. Uh, we were already at the forefront there in relation to a livestock identification system for cattle to make sure that we've got complete traceability. So with regards to our future trade relationship where there's going to be changes on the regulatory landscape, the likelihood is that will not change that much at all because we're already deeply embedded into protecting animal welfare, ensuring that we've got traceability from farm to fork, ensuring that we've got consumer confidence. Within the UK, we've understood for many, many years that the biggest threat to our economy is likely that of um, an animal-related disease. We look at some of the big hitters over recent years. We've had BSE, we've had foot and mouth, we've had the horse meat scandal. These have some major impacts on the on the UK economy. And when you look to the current climate that we're sitting in at the moment with coronavirus and COVID-19, that stems back to some of the wet markets back in, in China. We know that there is the link back to potential zoonoses. Coronaviruses have been around for decades, so there's nothing new there. So, you know, we can see the big impacts that animal health, if we don't get it right, and what happens in relation to the to the economy and to the consumer. And ultimately, it's, it's not only animal health, it's public health. The exit from the EU doesn't present a threat 
in that we will not be reducing our standards of welfare within the United Kingdom. The biggest threat that we're going to be exposed to is definitely going to be um, any trade deal deals that we take in the future um, with other countries like the UK, um, uh, having a trade deal with America, with the United States, um, trade deals that we may build with countries such as China, for instance. Uh, and the reason that that threat is so big is that when we look at the way that some of those countries operate, their standards for husbandry of livestock, their standards in relation to production are significantly lower than those that we expect within the United Kingdom for both our producers and for consumer confidence. And at the end of the day, if you've got products which are of a lower standard being produced entering into the United Kingdom, that then gives an unfair competition to the producers that we've got in the UK. That can only go one way. So if you've got unfair competition, producers are either going to have to try and up their game to try and compete, which if that's the case, we could see lowering standards on farm potentially for the way that products are being, being kept. It could be that we start to lose traceability. As soon as you start to put any weakness in the chain, that's when your vulnerabilities start to kick in and that's where we then start to be exposed to things like food fraud um, and that's when consumer confidence gets hit. We know that there's an agricultural, uh, an agricultural bill. The agricultural bill has gone back a couple of times for a number of amendments to it to try and pick up where farming industry themselves have raised concern. The bill, what they're looking at, it, it will replace the common agricultural policy um, in that money that's presently received that farms would normally get through the European subsidies for things like cross-compliance uh, and the single farm payment. They will be replaced basically based upon it'll be public goods, public money. What we've got to be mindful of is that A, there's not a delay in getting this money to farming industries that need it most. You've got some areas or sectors of the industry who are more vulnerable than others. And it's making sure that within the legislation that's recognised. It's also ensuring that payments are made timely. What happens if they don't get that government support is they're likely then to feel financial pressures, you know, depending on how volatile the market may be. And those financial pressures, these are the things we're talking about sentient beings here that a lot of these farms looking after with regards livestock. So if they haven't got the finance, things that will drop off will be things like, um, you know, they won't be given the feed perhaps that the animals need. They won't be undertaking some of the veterinary care that maybe the animals need. They'll be trying to cut corners, not perhaps dispose of animal byproducts in the correct manner that should be disposed of. The issue that you've got then is that you've got potentially a threat then to animal health because if you're not disposing of animal byproducts correctly there's a risk there of, of possibly animal disease if you're not looking after animals and getting the vet into them again it's that animal health and the animal welfare risk and and the last thing we want is you know the UK we pride ourselves on, on being world leaders with animal welfare it really is a, a unique selling point that we we have you know when you look at, at the industry itself it's an industry we should be proud of um, and the last thing we want is to see that that industry fall just because we're not getting the finance and support put behind it that you know the UK government perhaps have promised but have failed to deliver but also on the other side of that like I say the big worry is is the competition that they may be faced against with trade deals coming in from some countries that we may not be presently trading with and how that then makes it quite difficult and a challenge for the farming industry to, to try and sort of um, compete with those, those individuals.
of all the investigations that I've ever undertaken or the ones that I've ever supervised by my team that have ever undertaken, typically where there is a severe welfare on farm, normally the underlying reason for that has to be finance. And, and that, you know, I've had over 21 years experience now within the local authority and typically the underlying sort of cause for welfare on farm has been finance. Um, and that's why it can't be stressed enough that we have to make sure, particularly in some of the more vulnerable sectors where they're heavy, heavily reliant um, upon government subsidies for survival. So these are in the rural areas where they could be in some of the, the highlands, the uplands, where the types of farming that you can do are limited. You know, you may be, be limited by, by sheep, etc. Uh, and again, if that financial support isn't there, that when these these industries potentially could be compromised and that's where you're going to then find issues particularly where they probably haven't if you're talking you know for a sheep farmer traditionally in a, in a hill or upland area the intervention that they may have on with those sheep they may not be seen on, on sort of regular basis in some of these situations some of these farmers have had to take second employment anyway just to maintain the farm, just to make sure that the farm remains viable. And it's where do you draw the line in the sand as to, okay, is this financial, is this business financially viable? Or is it a case of I just cut my losses and walk away? And that's a really hard decision for a lot of farming families. That's been in their their um, it's it's been their livelihood for a number of number of years for some people. You know, it it is their life. It, they've known nothing. They've been born on a farm. They've lived on a farm. Some they'll tell you it's in their genes. And to have that taken because financially you can't afford to retain that business. They don't necessarily see it as a business structure when they should do. And that they, they don't have the courage. And it is courage to walk away sensibly and say, actually, I can't, I can no longer afford to run this business viably and therefore I'm going to shut up shop. I'm going to sell the cattle, I'm going to sell the sheep, I'm going to sell the pigs, whatever livestock it is that they've got and walk away and start a new beginning. Unfortunately for some people, because of the bills that they owe the bank, the debt that they've got at the bank, because they know nothing else other than farming, what other job can they do other than farming? They'll just keep on going and going and going and going. And sadly, that's where we end up having to intervene is because it gets to a point where they can no longer uh, carry on with the debts and the money and the finance and that's where things start to slip and that's where as local authority um, we end up going in because we've been caught to complaint the welfare is that severe we then have to take action so finance is critical we have to get that right if we don't what's going to happen is that we are going to see more and more businesses fold but the issue that we've got is that they're not going to necessarily fold with themselves sort of saying, you know, responsibly saying, yeah, I'm going to take myself out of the business. What's going to happen is it'll end up with local authorities going in, finding problems, and then local authority are going to have to take sort of the, the actions and the steps basically to ensure that business either gets into compliance or they take the steps to, to take that business out, which will include potentially things like taking animals into possession and prosecuting of the, the business itself which nobody wants to see. Um, that's the last thing that we're here for. But unfortunately, depending on what we may find, that may be where we end up. With regards the feed, so we're in the agricultural side of things um, from CTSI, we trade globally on a worldwide market for feed. And a number of producers will be importing from all over the world. Now, we have to remain 
a viable trade body. Any impact on the increased cost of feed, the gross margins, you know, a farmer has to make a set amount of money. So if they can't get the feed that they expect at the right cost that they want, then they'll look at cheaper alternatives. Those cheaper alternatives could be things like the use of former foods. We've already seen an increase of former foods being used um, in the feed industry, which is fine if they're used responsibly. If you look at some of these feed businesses, they're buying on futures markets. It, it's a complicated system for buying and selling. If you look at the amounts of tonnage of, of feed that's used on a yearly basis within the EU, you know, we're talking millions of tonnes of feed. And, and that's not including sort of the grassland that you'd expect sort of your, your sheep and the, the forage that you expect cattle and etc. to be eating. So this is manufactured feed that will contain things like soya, cereals, etc. We don't want to be in a position where import is, is sort of compromised in relation to some of the goods that we need to bring in at a, at a reasonable price. Typically, most of the goods that are coming into the UK will likely have been landed in the EU first. So, you know, we should be able to accept that the certificates, once they've landed in the EU, are that, that feed is safe, that they're safe to come over into the UK. So there's not too many issues with that. I think the key thing is really going to be this tariff um, and trade tariffs. Once feed goes up, obviously that cost has got to be met by somebody. And ultimately, you know, you and I as a consumer, are we prepared to pay additional for something that maybe we were paying a pound for one week and then the next week it's gone up to pound fifty, purely because there's been an increase in price. And I think that's what we've got to you know, expect is that prices will increase as you know tariffs have started to be introduced with trade. And I think that's where we're going to sit with feed. The feed labelling itself, the labelling requirements under 767-2009, they, they won't change at all. They will remain exactly the same and we will still continue to adopt the um, EU stance in relation to labelling. And that will be that for a feed to be placed on the market in accordance with uh, regulation 178-2002 and 767-2009, and it has to be safe, basically. You know, the law is quite clear in relation to the labelling as to, you know, what can be included in the label, what has to be mandatory labelling requirements, and um, what has to be on the label for feed. That isn't going to change at all. So I suppose the thing that I'm saying is don't expect any great changes because they're not going to happen. You know, as it stands within the within the uh, UK at the moment, we will still continue to adopt the EU regulations that are presently in place. The role of all government agencies, both Food Standards Agency, Food Standards Scotland, DEFRA, Scottish Government, Welsh Government, etc., whether it be animal health legislation, whether it be feed legislation, whether it be food legislation, that won't change. That will not change at all. And when you look at the legislation with regards to the Withdrawal Act, um, basically we are just literally picking up the one piece of legislation and putting it together and saying, actually, we still recognise that the EU regulations apply. I don't believe that our exit from the EU will compromise um, the UK with regards to any disease control. Um, the UK has got an exemplary record with regards to disease control, probably one of the best in the world, I would suggest. So I don't believe that, the exit, that our exit from the EU is going to pose any greater threat there. I think the bigger risk realistically 
is within any disease control situation if there is you know we get people don't realize bovine tuberculosis it's a notifiable disease it's um, an endemic notifiable disease but a notifiable disease is anything that is made notifiable by the minister under under the act itself under the animal health act so tb is notifiable just as foot and mouth is notifiable the difference between the two diseases is that foot and mouth is an exotic notifiable disease whereas tb is endemic it's in the country and we're having to try and, and, and manage the disease and control the disease and eradicate it it's in the country what people perhaps don't realize is that we get a substantial amount of money from the european union when it comes to disease control so regardless of what type of disease um, within the eu we do get quite a lot of money that money subsequently if we're not a member of the eu is no longer provided and is withdrawn and subsequently from there we may find that there is a, an impact then that you know where we may have had additional financial assistance we will not be in a position to get that financial assistance one of the amendments that has been made in relation to the agriculture bill has been that standards shouldn't be lowered and we shouldn't be expecting we shouldn't be accepting lowered standards from any country unless the standards are at least equivalent to or greater than those that we already have within the united kingdom for animal health and welfare as i've said i cannot see that there will be any lowering of the standards within the United Kingdom. Certainly, you know, from a trade point of view with Europe, if we want to, we've got to remember at the end of the day, even though we've, we've withdrawn from Europe, we still have quite a lot of trade with Europe and we need to be on par. If we want to trade with them, we need to demonstrate not only that we are at least trading at an equivalent level to them, but also that we're policing the, the industry that, that ultimately is providing into them and what we have to remember is that it's not just we think about animals and we perhaps think about animal health and welfare on farm and we think about the live animal rather than actually the trade in animal and animal related products so it could be you know we do a lot of lot of export of, of carcasses of sheep for instance there's a big sheep export market into the eu from the uk we have a lot of trade in animal-related products, whether they be animal byproducts that go out of the UK into the EU. So just because we're talking about trade, our trade with the EU, we have to make sure that we're at least of an equivalent standard with them. So we are going to have to comply with the EU legislation. So I cannot see that there be any, any dropping in standards. What may happen once we've sort of got things embedded and things may settle down is we may fine-tune those rules to make it that they are better suited for the industry, better suited for the regulator and to increase consumer confidence. However, any fine tweaking of the rules would have to be done through consultation and we're certainly not at that stage yet. At the present moment in time, and I can see for the foreseeable future, we are going to have to maintain at least the standards that we're used to working with. Well, that's it for now. Thanks to Steph Young for speaking to us and thank you for listening. This episode forms part of a series of podcasts and other materials designed to help trading standards professionals make sense of EU exit. It complements the modules in the CTSI EU exit training portal. Be sure to check out the rest of the podcasts, each of which is themed around a different area of trading standards. 
More resources are available from CTSI at www.tradingstandards.uk forward slash EU exit. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye.